A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And of course, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are involved in politics and doing so in an informed way. Today, we're talking about how your engagement with MPs can keep them going when times are tough. Our guest today is the MP, Dr. Lisa Cameron. She's a member of the Scottish National Party and she's professionally a clinical psychologist. Lisa has received strong criticism in the past for being pro-life, but has also received encouragements from Christians all around the world, which we'll be hearing more about in a bit. But before we speak to Lisa, here's Cara Bentley with a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, Boris Johnson is facing a number of problems this week to do with trust and who he is or has been close to. There are issues of transparency at play when it comes to who initially paid for the flat renovations at Downing Street, who leaked information about the second lockdown before it was announced, who heard him allegedly say he'd rather let the bodies pile up than have another lockdown, and who is benefiting from having the Prime Minister's phone number. Now, in questioning this week about the supposed leaker, former Labour shadow Chancellor John McDonnell accused the Cabinet Secretary Simon Case of delivering a badly scripted version of Yes Minister, the 1980s political comedy, because he'd left them with more questions than answers. So it may not be that we find out all or any of these answers very soon. But there's a world outside Westminster and down in Cornwall, Sainsbury's has apologised for blasphemy for having a poster of scones in their Truro branch with jam on top of the cream, which is how their neighbours in Devon do it, but the opposite of what they do in Cornwall. In fact, former guest on this show, Steve Double MP, simply tweeted the word justice in response to the apology. But Tim, there is a lot more going on this week. What do you think Christians should be praying and thinking about this week? Well, there is so much we could talk about this week. The appalling news of Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe being sentenced to yet another year in an Iranian prison for whom I would urge you all to pray. We could also talk about the Cummings-Johnson saga, which I don't think we should dismiss as just Westminster tittle-tattle, because surely we do believe that integrity and character in our leaders matters. But instead, I want to focus on the heartbreaking and horrific situation in India as the COVID outbreak there has now seen daily increases in infection, higher than there have been anywhere else in the world at any time during this pandemic. Here in the UK, we are now emerging from some of our tighter restrictions, with case numbers rapidly falling and with more than half the UK population now vaccinated with at least one dose. On Monday, India reported a daily figure of more than 350,000 new cases. And on that one day alone, 2,812 people dead. People are dying from a lack of oxygen whilst waiting for hospital beds. Burial grounds are running out of space and crematoriums are increasing capacity. We've seen the US sending ingredients for vaccine manufacture, the UK sending oxygen and ventilators, France and Germany sending oxygen, and even Pakistan, no friend of India, sending medical supplies. I'm sure that these acts of humanitarian assistance are born of compassion. But I suspect there is also a strong element of pragmatism here, coupled with fear. Because if the virus is raging in certain parts of the world, then there's a much higher chance of vaccine-resistant variants emerging. 
This makes what is happening in India a huge threat to us too. In the midst of all of this, the politics of vaccine supply is certainly in play. China is filling the gap now left by India in producing vaccine for poorer nations, making its international power and influence even larger. The Chinese economic empire is surely now one upon which the sun never sets. Yet the growing tragedy in India has come about because of inequality. India's health system is collapsing. There is a lack of access to tests. And in a country with such poverty, with people living so close to one another, social distancing is close to impossible. The pandemic reminds us that across the globe, the human race is deeply connected, not just in terms of communications and travel, but on a deeper level, biologically and spiritually. We see the suffering in India and we're horrified and led by compassion and a sense of duty to reach out to them in their distress. It is also a reminder that the primary motivation behind the UK giving international aid must surely not be to benefit the rich who give, but to benefit the poor who receive. We should give because it is the right thing to do. Of course, our aid budget gives Britain influence abroad, but more importantly, it is the outworking of our national conscience, a conscience which is planted in us by the Almighty. We support poorer countries because we are a rich nation and can afford to do so, and because we have not shaken off the conviction from our Christian heritage that tells us that our neighbour is everyone. Neither can we shake off the fact that each person on this planet has been made in the image of God. So when we look on those suffering in India and feel compelled to act, it is because we know consciously or otherwise that we have been made by the same God, a God who tells us that we must do for others what we would have them do for us. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this week on the show, our guest is Dr. Lisa Cameron, who's the SNP MP for East Kilbride, Strathaven and Lesma Hargo. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, but she'll put me right in a moment. She's been the MP since 2015, re-elected in 2017, 2019. We'll be talking about how she finds being a MP in the House of Commons, taking a different view from the majority on pro-life issues and what it's like when she gets encouragement from Christians all over the world that have indeed kept her going. Uh, Lisa, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the programme. You've been an MP since 2015, but a Christian for quite a bit longer. So tell me a little bit, first of all, if I've pronounced your constituency correctly, and then secondly, how did you come to follow the Lord? Yeah, East Kilbride was fine. It's Straven and Les Mahego. Les Mahego, <laughs> I'll get it, right, okay. <laughs> but you started well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a Christian since um, I was a small child, and I had one of those um, Scottish grands who was really the, the linchpin of our family and was very much grounded in, in faith and uh, would take us each Sunday to Sunday school. And this was um, always a, a period of, of time when you could come together, you could discuss the Bible, um, family were together and there was family time, um, you know, just after church as well and on, on the road to church. And, and it was very much something we did every week and gave a sense of stability and uh, consolidated the family. And uh, yeah, so, so it's been there all my life. And, and I find that I, I really... Um, I have I have my faith. Um, it's very important to me. It's 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 like an anchor for me in, in everything that I do. Um, but also in those periods of perhaps uncertainty in life or um, 
where things are not going to plan, then um, I do very much uh, rely on, on, on my faith to, to get me through those times. And, and I feel that praying and uh, being uh, with others of faith as well at church really helps me to ground myself in what's important in life. Uh, so I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to have that instilled in me from such an early age and it really, really is important to me and, and, and is at my core, I would say. Mm. So you went off to university and maybe fell out of the habit a little bit, but not for long. Yeah, not 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 for long. Um, and, you know, I, I think um, you're out exploring the world and then you, you, you kind and what you want to be sort of independent and maybe a bit rebellious from from family. But then, as I said, at times when when I find life challenging, it's something I return to, um, particularly um you know, during um, periods in, in life um, where there's been change in my life, such as having my own children. Mm. And once again, I, I feel that, you know, I wanted to instill those family and faith values that, that I have I've found so uplifting throughout my life in, in my own daughters. And, and so that's been important. And it's also been important, you know, in, in terms of adjustment, because I um, we'll come on to speak about it, but I had a long career in the NHS, so changing my life entirely to become a Member of Parliament was very unnerving for me, and uh, really having that support and encouragement from those um, who have known me um, for very many years and uh, a Christian family around me it has helped me to believe in myself and believe that I'm in Parliament for a reason and, and to try to um, do my best to, to represent and serve others. So serving as a clinical psychologist, as you say, um, you became the candidate for the constituency um, not long after you joined the party. So you joined the party like thousands and thousands of others did uh, after the independence referendum in 2014 for a seat that Labour had held forever and ever, pretty much. So you were selected as candidate, but didn't really expect that you had much chance of winning. You assumed you'd be gonna, you could be carrying on with your career in the NHS. Absolutely. Uh, it was really um, put to me, I suppose, that, you know, apply for the candidacy. You possibly won't even become the candidate because um, although I grew up in East Kilbride, um, which is the big town area that, that I represent that you were able to pronounce so well, um, I live in the, the rural area now of the constituency down towards Lesmahago. So um, usually the, the candidates would, would you know, probably um, be still living in, in the town rather than the rural area. Although I, I've always had that understanding and experience of both and also working in the NHS across the area. So I wasn't expected to be the candidate um, and, and I was really there just to put on a good show for the branch, the local branch, and to, um, you know, make that they, they felt they had a respectful presence in the, in the election. And then I became the candidate, which um, shocked very many people, um, including myself. And I had to go back and say to my husband, well, you know, I, I said I wasn't likely to become the candidate, but now I am the candidate. 
Um, Labour have held this seat forever in a day, really. And so, you know, after the election, we'll go back to normal. And what I want to do is is really put my all into the election and, and make sure that I represent people well during the campaign. Um, so that's my role um, and it will be temporary. And then, <laughs> lo and behold, things didn't quite <laughs> follow that plan. <laughs> There's enormous um, landslide in Scotland as the SNP won nearly all of the seats in Scotland. There was a moment, wasn't there, about a month or so short of the election when your mum gave you a present, which made you think that maybe you weren't going to carry on in the NHS just for the time being. Absolutely, yes. And, and you know, my mum had said at the start, I don't understand why you're standing for election, you know, you don't. This is a safe seat for Labour Party. Um, you, you putting yourself through all of this public scrutiny, etc. You know why? Why are you turning your life upside down? You know for no um, purpose. And so she was. She was quite kind of um, surprised at my decision to to, to make this move. I suppose um, in relation to politics. And then about a month before um, the the election, the polls had been quite consistent. And she said, "Well, I have a present for you." And I said, okay. And so I, I went over to my mum's in, in East Kilbride and uh, she gave me the present. Like when I opened it, it was a travel hairdryer. And she said, I think you're going to be needing this. Um, and, you know, we think you have a really good chance now of winning, winning this seat, becoming the MP for this area, um, you know, where my family live and where I grew up. <laughs> Wonderful. Mum always knows best. I mean, amazing, really, to think that 12 months before you were elected, you hadn't even joined the party. You'd have been absolutely astonished if someone had told you that you would be an MP in a year's time. I guess, really, you know, all of us, we are where we are, whatever it is we're doing, because God has put us there. But I do sometimes think when I hear stories about uh, of yours, like yours, indeed of Nick Fletcher's, who we spoke to last week, the incredible rapid uh, progress into Parliament, it almost feels like God's hand is even more visible than than normal um, with these circumstances. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking with Dr. Lisa Cameron, an SNP member of Parliament and a Christian. Uh, Lisa. Being in the SNP and fighting the Scottish elections, even though you're not a candidate, nevertheless, uh, the elections to Holyrood in just a couple of weeks' time, arguably the most important ever. Um, it's seen by many as a kind of gateway to another independence referendum or not, depending on what the outcome may be. Is it possible for issues like mental health and unemployment and education um, to get a look in when the debate seems to be about the, you know, the ultimate future of Scotland as an independent country or as part of the UK? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the constitutional questions are um, a major aspect of um, politics in Scotland and, and has been so now since um, 2013-14 when things were building up to the, the last referendum so that that is there and that's a major aspect of the campaign however we've all just come through the Covid pandemic and we're still you know in our recovery and, and trying to, to find a path through that and I do think that mental health is, is an absolutely crucial issue for people uh, well-being in, in general physical and mental health is critical um, in people's thinking, employment, the economy, all of these issues, I would say day-to-day -day life, the, the pandemic has really put focus on day-to-day -day life, how um, fortunate we are, but also how precarious that is. And 
there's great concern, I think, for the, the, the future in terms of the economy, jobs, in terms of uh, well-being and, and health security as well, actually. So uh, all of these issues are important in terms of recovery alongside the, the, the questions of independence mm. or, you know, or not. I mean, as a as an observer of, of you in Parliament, you're you're one of the consensus builders, in my uh, opinion. You see, so you see, you chairing all party parliamentary groups, such as the one on on health, and I think that's a great witness, by the way. Obviously, independence versus uh, unionism, if you like, in Scotland can be very, very divisive. There will be people who are Christians who will take a different point of view to you in the constituency and elsewhere. How do you manage to um, take that kind of consensual approach to politics uh, in the constituency with people who are fellow believers, but who take a totally different view to you on Scotland's future? Well, you know, I mean, I'm a psychologist as well. I think that was my job in the, in the NHS. So really my job was to listen and understand people and their points of view. Um, so that that's always at the root of building any agreement or consensus. And, you know, the, the kind of principles that I have in, in relation to my interactions with people, they're um, principles of respect um, and that you must come from that position of respect in terms of other people's views and in, in terms of you're not going to always agree with people so you have to be courteous, you have to listen and you have to try to understand their, their viewpoints too um, because you know un unless we do that we can't represent everybody in our constituency and I have really gone the extra mile to make sure that you know no matter the, any constitutional um, division um, in people's minds that they do feel they can come to me as their MP and that I will represent them to the best of my abilities so um, I think that that's just really crucial in our roles um, in parliament and in our constituency but also fundamentally that that's important in terms of my views of the world, uh, my Christian beliefs and, and, and also um, my work as, as an NHS psychologist throughout my life has been about understanding people and where they're coming from, their points of view. So I guess um, not wanting to sound even remotely flippant here, I promise you, independence feels a kind of uh, almost a consensual issue uh, when it's compared to pro-life issues, as you and I both have experienced. A couple of years ago, there was an opportunity where we found ourselves in the same lobby on uh, whether Westminster told Northern Ireland that it needed to uh, take UK-wide abortion laws. And you voted against the majority in Parliament and the majority in your own party. There was some opposition you would have received um, to that vote. How did that feel? It was a vote of conscience. So, you know, I wasn't breaking any party whip or anything. So I have to say that, you know, I was perhaps quite naively surprised um, and shocked at the level of um, vitriol in a sense that I received on social media. You know, it really put my staff under a lot of stress and strain for um, 48 hours after that vote where um, we were really receiving hundreds and hundreds of messages. Um, uh, local party, some local party activists said that I, I shouldn't um, be able to stand again as a candidate in Parliament because of that vote even. Um, so I, I hadn't expected that because I, I'd always sort of, as I said, respected that people can have different points of view and, and, and believe particularly in a vote of conscience that that's important and um, democratic principle to uphold. So 
Um, so I was shocked um, initially, and then my, my sort of feeling was about the stress I was putting my family under and, and staff members in relation to my vote at that point in time. Um, but I, I do have to say that, that you know, shortly after that um, backlash, I would call it initially, um, there was just such an outpouring of support from people across the constituency. Right across the UK, I received emails and letters from people thanking me. And even um, internationally, I've had emails and I keep in touch with people now um, from Australia and Chicago, people who um, are Christians uh, right across the world who, who reached out to me to say thank you and thank you for holding to your principles. It was a difficult thing to do and that um, we're praying for you and uh, that you know with with christian fellowship you will you will come through and uh you'll maintain your strength and your beliefs and your principles moving forward and that that just gave me it was so heartening and it just gave me such um belief and and um courage to continue um because at that point in time i think i had felt that there had been such an impact on those around me that i was beginning to think you know um, can I be myself in Parliament? Can I can I um, be hold the beliefs I have and, and maintain my integrity? And that's very important to me. So that really outpouring helped me tremendously. And, and I still thank those who have you know who have reached out um, and also um, who continue to stay in touch. I've built real friendships from that. I think that's amazing. I think it's also. Wonderfully encouraging, I hope, to people who are listening, um, not just that you made the stand that you did and you have uh, gone through what you have, but also the impact that they can have in their communications with a member of parliament. And uh, so for Christians out there wanting to think a bit more about how they relate to Christian members of parliament, I think we've just seen a great example. Maybe a final thing it might be just interesting to touch upon is that, of course, you know, most MPs are not Christians. And sometimes your MP might vote in a way you don't like uh, as a Christian yourself. You might then think about how you relate to them. And I wonder how you think, Lisa, it's best for somebody who is a, a Christian constituent of a non-Christian MP who might vote in ways that they don't like. How should they relate to them? I mean, I think, you know, in the Bible, there are so many great examples of reaching out to those who perhaps don't have as much in common as you would think, but then finding that um, you can create such a strong bond. So um, I would say, you know, do get involved in politics, do let your MP know um, your views on issues and try to build that relationship where you can have discussions about things. Be respectful, please, um, and um, compassionate. I think it's important that, that, that Christians feel able to be very much involved in politics um, and in um, parliamentary discussions and to have that connection with the Member of Parliament to be represented because uh, that's um, what we're there to do and uh, Christians should certainly be included um, at the heart of that. Lisa, thank you so very much. MP for East Kilbride, Straven and Lesma Hago, is that right? Absolutely. Perfect. Yes, this is my major achievement of the day. Everybody gets Westmoreland wrong, so there you go. <laughs> Lisa, thank you ever so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political or even personal. This week, we've got a question from Judah. 
aged six in Ealing. Tim, what do I need to do to become the Prime Minister? Judah, what a question. Possibly the toughest one I've been asked. Well, first of all, I might say maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. I, I was candidate for Prime Minister in 2017, technically, and was unsuccessful. But I'd say this, I suppose to be Prime Minister, you've to be a Member of Parliament, you then to become elected leader of your party, and then your party needs to get more MPs in Parliament than all of the other parties put together. That's technically how you become a Prime Minister. But maybe a better answer to your question would be that perhaps you shouldn't aim to be Prime Minister. Perhaps being Prime Minister is something that might happen if God wants to put you there, but your aim shouldn't be to be ambitious to hold a particular job or a particular role in politics. It should be to do good and to serve people. And then let's see where that ends up. Well, if you think you can come close to a question as good as Judah's, why don't you email me with yours? Write it in to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of this week's podcast, let's pray together. And Father God, uh, we want to lift up to you Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe and her family uh, with the hope that there must have been that she'll be returned soon. The thought that she may now have to spend another year in prison will be a crushing blow. And we want to lift up that family to you and we want to pray for interventions that would lead to uh, Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe's release imminently. We pray for justice to be done and we pray that you would sustain her husband Richard and the whole of the family. Lord, we also want to pray for this time where we see such vitriol and claim and counterclaim about who is and isn't telling the truth. We um, cry out to you, Lord, for there to be justice, for there to be integrity in leadership, but also there to be forgiveness. We um, remember the words of the Archbishop of Canterbury recently as he talked about the need for us to um, not be hypocritical, to be ready with forgiveness to those who have done wrong. But at the same time, we know we must not be neutral when it comes to uh, the truth and right and wrong. So Lord, help us to hold those things in tension, your, uh, your justice and your mercy, which are seen so perfectly on the cross. Let us be people who hold tight to um, justice, to truth and honesty and decency, but also at the same time be those who hold out forgiveness um, to those who have fallen, not least because the Lord has held that out so lovingly to us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next week we will be speaking to my friend Labour's Ruth Jones, the MP for Newport West. But until then, I'm Tim Farron. Thank you so much for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.